I'm really not kidding when I say the work is kind of a um, a forced relationship between these worlds that do not always get along. But I find that very exciting. I like that uh, it feels for me like there's territory to discover. And, and every step takes me somewhere else. But right now, it, it is very much about the power and the potential of reading and receiving information along with a visual kind of stimulus that creates something new. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 200th episode, Bill Conger makes his return and we talk all about his solo exhibitioning opening up November 4th at Goldfinch Gallery in Chicago entitled Something Like Leaving. The show opens at 3 p.m. followed by a conversation with Illinois State University Gallery Director Kendra Pates at 5, so be there for that. Of course, we'll talk a bit about Bill's work and what to expect for the show coming up. Please note that our 2018 professional competition is now open. This year's juror, Brian Frink, will be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break in a future episode, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition at Raka Gallery up in Mankato, Minnesota. If you'd like to find out more information, please visit studiobreak.com. You'll see right on the left sidebar there is a professional artist competition page for more information. If you're listening to Studio Break for the first time, please check out studiobreak.com. Again, we have an archive of interviews with artists. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their website so you can find out more information. You can listen right there on the default player or just hit that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. Studio Break is in a number of social media formats, so be sure and like our Facebook page. Be sure and follow our Twitter account at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Here is our 200th interview with Bill Conger. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Studio Break. Bill Conger, how are you? Doing terrific, Dave. How are you today? Excellent, excellent. And, you know, again, I pointed out that serendipitously this is episode 200. So, again, kind of cool to have you on for episode 200, but you are episode 100. So, like four years or something like that? And bicentennial. Well, and so again, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your show that's coming up at uh, Gold Fringe Gallery in Chicago. Again, that exhibition runs November 4th and, you know, we'll break down some of that. But if you could just kind of maybe briefly just kind of give a little bit of a background, you know, tell us, uh, you know, where you're living, generally what you're interested in. We can kind of just have a casual conversation from there. Sure. I am a, a fairly lifelong Peorian. I, I think it's safe to say I am a lifelong Peorian, actually. And I uh, live and work in, in a surrounding region. I'm actually a former curator at Illinois State University. I'm current curator of collections and exhibitions at the Peoria Riverfront Museum, a post that I have uh, I'm closing in on my one-year uh, anniversary here at the end of October. And um, my work has, for probably the past 15 years, been based in some kind of anomalous mixture of poetry, sculpture, and and, uh, language of painting, I guess. I was trained as a painter, and uh, I've described myself as some kind of frustrated version of all three of those. Excellent, excellent. And so, you know, we just talked a little bit about this, um, and I... 
maybe we can kind of go in a bunch of different directions. But in the past, you know, we've kind of talked about this idea of, you know, these moments in your work. And obviously, you know, that might take different forms, as you just kind of described. You're kind of, you know, jumping in between sculpture and installation, you know, collage pieces, text pieces. Yeah. Could you just describe a little bit about that relationship in terms of maybe, you know, how you see those things all kind of coming to play when you, I don't know, think about or conceive an exhibition? Well, I, I try to be very kind of in tune with the rhythms of, you know, what the work demands. I try to listen to the work. And a way of doing that is to kind of be attentive to kind of where I am in the world, where I am in life. I would not say that my work is um, autobiographical in any means, but I would say that uh, life experience and um, maybe common moments that uh, most of us share in one way or another, feelings of love, feelings of loss, feelings of, you know, longing. These are things that are kind of rhythmic in our lives, kind of like waves in the ocean. And I try to kind of be attentive to those rhythms. And as they come, as they come through life, I try to kind of, I guess, create a language from it, create a, a, a next kind of iteration of, of uh, what all of that is is kind of boiling down to, you know, in the years that I have on, on the planet. I think that's probably the, the easiest way of saying it. I would not say that there's anything necessarily new in, you know, the dialogue of, of what I am saying. I just kind of keep finding different ways of, of talking about the same things. And again, that's kind of interesting to think about, you know, the kind of found materials that you use because i mean in some instances i've seen pieces where you know it's literally like a fabric that's been altered and kind of presented you know on a floor i've seen you know pieces of you know metal that are literally just kind of taking some random form or maybe like an adjusted pair of like almost looking like melted glasses how does that kind of relate then to you know like the collage pieces in terms of are these all like found then materials or, or is there kind of like a a specific thing that you're looking for when you're looking for a material to kind of exploit? Well, the, the materials kind of find me and they also, um, in instances where I find them, they are materials that make themselves uh, aware to me because of their vulnerability. All material has vulnerability and we're, we're material ourselves. So this is kind of the commonality between what I am and what I'm trying to make. So I think what I try to do is um, discover a new way of talking about temporality and, and uh, this kind of suspension of time, which is uh, going by, you know, constantly. It's racing through us uh, every second, of course. And so the idea is to kind of exploit a material's vulnerability to talk about, you know, this kind of movement through the world. Uh, and and kind of note some of the weak points in our in our movements and uh, and kind of celebrate them really. Well, it's interesting because you keep talking about time, and you know I know you've used some things like uh, moon rocks and you know things that might even be consumed. I believe there's been some gin maybe or allusion to <laughs> something that might be kind of consumed. But it's interesting to hear that and kind of think about that relationship of time in terms of some of the found objects, found materials. Again, there's almost like this sense of like, I don't want to say impending doom, but like an end, a finality, um, 
or something that might change or be altered just just through time? Well, I think one aspect of um, the work I didn't address and you specifically asked was about the collage. I would generally refer to as paper-based work that I kind of have continually done has taken various forms through the years. And uh, I I wouldn't say that they're uh, necessarily dissimilar from the sculptural items there. I've always seen this work as um, kind of a way of interjecting, you know, meaningless things back into meaning. So I kind of try to take solitary, almost um, moot or, or dumb objects and, uh, and kind of wring some kind of emotion out of them and try to kind of humanize or personalize them to an extent. So it's this kind of, I see it as kind of a rescue attempt. And is there any kind of like relationship in terms of like the, the place that these are going to occupy? Cause I've seen, you know, work that maybe kind of occupies more of like a white kind of cube space. And then I've also seen works that are, I don't know, a little bit more temporary in terms of their exhibition or, you know, kind of more responsive to that specific environment? I'm sensitive to both. Uh, and I've, I've worked in both. Um, and I'm very excited by, you know, the prospect of uh, kind of infiltrating a space that really is not designated uh, for the, you know, the passive consumption of art. But I do have to say, I really do love the, the white cube. I love the absence. I love the, the kind of... Um, religious quality of just a a clean room, which allows for a blank canvas to create content. So kind of in considering that, I mean, is that something that then you want people to kind of have this openness? I I know that we've talked about it before, but how does that process work in terms of the way people find meaning in this work? And then how does that role of like intention as the artist kind of work? I'm not sure if I'm going to get to the answer of what you're asking, but (laughs) I'm reductivist in nature. So when I work, I kind of pile ideas upon themselves. I will kind of uh, combine different approaches and ideas as I move through these topics and move through this, you know, these subjects in my studio. And then I begin to kind of flay them away, uh, start cutting from the body, if, if you will, and, and kind of getting down to, to the, real, the real form, you know, the real um, meat of the situation. And in this particular exhibition, I've probably done this, uh, I've achieved this in the most reductive way I probably have ever done in a visual format. And uh, so that's very exciting to me. The idea of the gallery is is additive in some ways because we all know what a gallery is and we bring our own expectations to it. For me, it's, it's an opportunity to kind of strip away as much of the preconceptions as possible and leave the viewer with just their own knowledge of the space and leave myself out of it as much as possible to allow whatever message I'm, you know, whatever that uh, signal I'm sending out, um, I want it to be as clear as possible. So clearing the rest out is my way of doing that, I think. When is something not working? You know, again, it's kind of interesting to kind of think maybe too how this relates to process. You know, having visited your space, I know that you have this kind of like massive table of odds and end things. But then I also know that you have these spaces in your studio with these, you know, massive walls. I don't know. It's almost like a kind of an exhibition space in and of itself. 
Yeah. So does that kind of allow you to kind of like, uh, I guess, pile on and then strip away to kind of get to whatever that essence is or remove or add or. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the, the, the studio allows me to kind of create a somewhat, you know, reduced space so I can kind of explore the relationships of things. It's probably not the, the best case scenario, but it, it works very well for me. I, I only work in a very small portion of my space and the rest of it I kind of use for looking and I look a lot. So often I'm, I'm, you know, probably sitting around and absorbing more than actually making things. But yeah, I do think you're right that it allows me to kind of build contexts um, and then discover what the real, you know, what the real situation is and then really go after it. And the way I usually do that is by pulling all the nonsense back out. It's really the best way I can explain it. That is really the magic of, of art making, isn't it? I mean, knowing when something is done, whether it's a painting or, or a, you know, a drawing or a song or a poem or whatever, knowing when it's finished is that beautifully elusive thing that we love to kind of imagine that we can capture like a butterfly. But, but it really is just what it is to, to each artist, I think. Well, and it's strange, the process, too, because I feel like people can stunt themselves into not starting or not continuing. Mm -hmm. It seems like the older that I get, again, my tendencies as a younger artist would be to feel like I just have to like, you know, stamp a clock, you know, and just put in hours and hours. Whereas I feel like now I make, you know, like a tiny decision and then spend a lot more time with it. Right. And, and, you know, I do think the more you, you, you settle into rhythms that, uh, that you become safe with and, and that that builds the confidence to move forward. I've never really I mean, I've I've had problems starting and problems continuing, but I've never been threatened by the idea of not starting or not continuing that probably making things and creating contexts is probably the, the one constant in my life, <laughs> actually. <laughs> well, and I'm curious then, too, in terms of that idea of process, I mean, is that something then that you're always then? you know, physically changing something or altering or just starting to work through something as opposed to, you know, like some people will take photographs, some people will doodles and sketchbook or, you know, stream of consciousness, write ideas or, you know, any number of other things. Is that always something that happens then just by physically doing something, altering things? Tricky question. I would say historically, yes. As um, I get older and continue this kind of move toward whatever it is I'm moving toward, I am finding that I prefer to actually leave things alone and let their, let the implicit context, let them change and sway. And and that becomes really the material for me, if that makes sense. The way I really love to work, although I do alter things from time to time, and certainly the collages are a complete alteration, but the way I really enjoy working is finding the content that is implicit in an object and then molding it and then disassembling it and re kind of constructing it for the viewer in a way that completely allows for a new reading and a new kind of recognition and a new way of thinking about things. That being said, trust me, I know that, you know, 
these things are not always successful to the viewer as much as they are for me. But that, like anything else in, in the creative process, that's just kind of the way it goes. <laughs> well, and something to think about that too, you know, relative to the idea of, you know, developing an idea through a sketchbook or something like that, you know, you also read and I would imagine the idea of combining or being informed by literature or text. I mean, it's, it seems like that's also something that's a big component. Yeah. What's that relationship between, you know, writing or literature or things that kind of help kind of fuel the work that, you know, might not be one of those physical things like writing down an, a, an idea specifically or drawing or something. I don't know. It's a terrific question. And thank you for it. I, I believe that, um, I have become very enamored with, uh, text and the word and the power of words and the power of certain words together and the reimagination of thought that happens through reading and absorbing content that way. However, being trained as a visual artist, I'm not a very good writer, to be honest with you. I mean, I write and I can write professionally, but I, I cannot be the type of writer that I would prefer to be, which is, you know, a master wordsmith that can create chapters and, and verse and, you know, in succession. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. It's not the way I am put together. So I've taken this love affair with language and the word and, and applied it as best as I know how, and that is to the visual realm. And so I'm really not kidding when I say the work is kind of a, um, a forced relationship between these worlds that do not always get along. But I find that very exciting. I like that uh, it feels for me like there's territory to discover. And, and every step takes me somewhere else. But right now, it, it is very much about the power and the potential of reading and receiving information along with a visual kind of um, stimulus that creates something new. Well, and are there particular things that w we wouldn't necessarily think of in terms of seeing your work that might be an influence? Um, you know, again, I oftentimes interview people that are just completing an undergraduate degree or graduate degree, and, you know, they talk about artists kind of being an influence or, you know, it, some sort of experience. And I know that, like, in terms of seeing, you know, material and its potential you know, that's one look or like we just kind of described text. But I mean, is there something that's kind of like hidden that maybe people wouldn't think about, you know, when they first see it? Uh, I don't, I don't know that I could answer that. It's all stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you that I have, you know, I, I have people that I look at in, in, and admire um, in all forms, you know, as everybody does music and, and of course, writing and, and painting and sculpture. And I really cannot quite get enough of it. I kind of uh, just keep piling, you know, memory upon memory of these brilliant minds and how they approach these very disparate materials and medium. And so I try in my own way to engage as much of that as I possibly can and still retain something that I believe is just mine. Um, and that's very important. I never want to feel like I've gone down somebody else's uh, alley. You know, I, I want my own territory. So 
Whether I always do that, I don't know, but it's very important. To kind of get back to this exhibition then, again, it's called Something Like Leaving. It's at Goldfinch Gallery, opening November 4th. Tell us a little bit about what what to expect. Um, I believe, uh, again, kind of uh, varying groups of work, right? At least a couple series. or It's an installation. It's a very reductivist installation, and I don't mean to be coy about about discussing it, but I'm afraid if I tell you too much, I'll lose some of the the impact, but um, suffice it to say that I've had quite a year. (laughs) I began a new job at the end of 2017, and the last hours of 2017, I lost my father, which happened quite quickly and impacted me, uh, you know, deeply as everyone's loss of a father does. This past couple months, uh, I have now two children of my two children completely out of my home, away in college, happy and successful in their own ways and and off into life. And it's something to really celebrate. But there is a real um, kind of loss, a little bit of a, um, there are voids. There are voids all over the place. And, And not that my life has any more voids than anybody else, but these are these are absences that I that have impacted me, and I think that really this show overall, um, there is some kind of dialogue about all of this. Um, nothing directly. Remember the works, the work I put out isn't really autobiographical, but but it is certainly informed by um, the emotion in the events of the past twelve months. Yeah, I mean, again, that sounds really interesting and intense and sad and you know, like life, you know, again, as I always talk to you, I feel like, you know, as this carries on and you, you know, make episode 300, <laughs> you know, I feel like there, that complexity will just kind of keep growing. But, um, again, it's, it's a lot to kind of consider and something that really makes, makes me always interested in, in thinking about your work, you know, especially as you, as you talk about it. And certainly I, I don't mean to kind of jump around, but, you know, I can think about that idea, you know, related to, uh, you know, installation and kind of more sculptural kind of objects. But I know that maybe we kind of glossed over a little bit, you know, the, the collages. I believe you described them more as like paperworks. Or, but I literally, you know, brought one out because I have one. And again, it's just so interesting to me to think about, like, they feel like they're found objects in and of themselves, which is which is interesting because they're, you know, comprised of all these varying pieces, but they kind of still feel like, I don't know, these things that you come upon, like they were like a, some kind of remnant even in and of themselves. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Well, I don't see that they are uh, terribly removed from from the rest of the work. They are. I usually kind of describe those as work that I make when I'm not working, <laughs> which is a strange a strange thought. But it, it's it's me totally disengaged from the from the context um, shifting and and molding that I was describing earlier. It's when I'm a little bit tapped in that way. And so my brain goes toward, you know, a very formal way of reconstituting found images. And so the way I do that is um, disrupt them and then reassemble them. And you're, you're right. I think they do end up becoming beautiful kind of objects to themselves. They are not found. I mean, in a sense, they are found, but they're found and rediscovered by me and re 
reapplied. So there, there's quite a bit of manipulation in that in that process. But they're also very hypnotic. I think they're, the good ones can be very hypnotic to uh, look at also. Well, and it's interesting to think about that kind of dialogue. And I know that you know that's maybe cliche to say. I mean, when you're kind of working you know, with a variety of media and you're, you know, putting it in somewhere, they're, they're all going to kind of talk, but it's kind of like another way to kind of engage uh, maybe similar themes or similar ideas. Certainly that, that is the case, but with, with the show, something like leaving the work is really, um, and even the works on paper are really about erasure and, uh, and reduction and uh, removal Whereas I think the collage that you probably have in your hand is very additive, or at least somewhat additive in nature. Uh, I've kind of reversed that process in, in some of the paperworks that, uh, that I have in, in this exhibition. I'm very excited about them. They are certainly more quiet and a little more kind of ghostly, but I think they're really beautiful. But it occurs to me too, like, again, in terms of like what you're kind of responding to, it isn't necessarily like this a specific idea it's almost like a response then to life yeah and it's interesting to think about because like again and maybe kind of hitting back to something i was saying earlier i mean there's this you know reaction to something else as opposed to thinking about the way that you're experiencing the world the way that your experience changes as you're getting older right. you're experiencing things of loss and then kind of working that way and again that's that's always something that's kind of appealing to me because i you know, I feel like I ride those, those, those waves as well, you know, where things are all clicking and then, you know, something misfires. Well, to paraphrase uh, a, a wonderful confessional poet uh, who took his own life in 1972, John Berryman, and, and this is a little bit of a Cliff Notes version of a Berryman quote, which is much better than I'm going to do justice uh, he famously said in an interview that that the artist, the creative, is very lucky to experience trauma because trauma is the it's the impetus of of the creative act. And in saying so, you know, he talked about the everyday occurrence of kind of getting up and, and dealing with your life. But the artist is really in business when they finally figure out they have cancer. <laughs> And that, that really is a, um, I mean, it's a tongue in cheek, I guess, statement to some degree, but I believe he really, you know, he really did live that. The ordeal is a serious matter. It's a serious matter for artists to take on. I think that the ordeal is probably the most interesting, the most consequential, the most conflicted uh, experience that, that we will have in life. I think life is made up of it. And I believe that a, a good amount of contemporary art likes to kind of negate that today. And I'm not exactly sure why. We shouldn't be afraid of feeling. Um, and feeling should not be negated to some kind of, you know, a simplistic endeavor. People have been making art, music, poetry about this uh, since the dawn of time. It's not going to stop tomorrow. And so I'm just trying to kind of add my own little you know, my own little uh, couple words of, of wisdom into the entire novel of this, of this uh, uh, genre. Super interesting. To kind of bring it back again, the show Something Like Leaving opens November 4th. 
Again, the opening's what, three to five, and then there's going to be a talk following that? Uh, yeah, Dave. The, the opening will conclude at 5 p.m. with a uh, little conversation with uh, my successor at Illinois State University at University Galleries, Kendra Pates, who now is actually Barry Blinderman's successor. <laughs> she <laughs> is actually... She's uh, risen from senior curator to director of university galleries, which I'm super psyched about. And um, we will have a little conversation at 5 p.m. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, very much looking forward to it. And, of course, appreciate you taking the time and making your 17th appearance or whatever this is. Um, But really appreciate it. Well, I I always appreciate coming on. And uh, I I thank you for for your interests and uh, Hope uh, number 300 comes quickly. Thanks again to Bill for joining me. Be sure and check out Bill's solo exhibition and open up November 4th at 3 p.m. at Goldfinch Gallery in Chicago. If you want to see some more of Bill's work, check out BillConger.com and be sure to follow him on Instagram at BillConger. Just another reminder that our professional art competition is now open, so if you are out there making work and you want to be on Studio Break, please be sure and apply. It's open to artists of all media. This year's juror is Brian Frank, who is an artist and chair of the art department at Minnesota State University. He'll be selecting three artists to appear on a future episode of Studio Break, as well as one artist for an exhibition at Rocka Gallery, which he directs up in Mankato. If you want to find out more information, please visit studiobreak.com, look for the Professional Art Competition tab, and there you go. Deadline is November 4th, so be sure and apply today. If you enjoyed today's episode, remember there is an archive of episodes available on studiobreak.com through our archive feature, so please be sure and look through and see what you missed. Again, each of our artists have their work featured as well as links to their websites and these very interesting interviews and discussions. You can listen right there on the default player or just click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss a beat. You always have got something to listen to in your studio. If you'd like, you can always earn some karma points by leaving some feedback there, as well as sharing this interview with others and sharing our competition. If you know somebody that should be applying to the Studio Break professional competition, we would hope that you do that. You can easily do that via social media, so be sure and do that and like our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram at Studio underscore Break and on Twitter at Studio Break. Before we depart, I want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings in person and you happen to be in Minnesota, please visit Rocka Gallery on October 20th. I'll have a solo exhibition entitled An Uncertain Nostalgia, and that'll be opening at 7 p.m. at Rocka Gallery in Mankato, Minnesota. You can also find paintings on davidlinaway.com. And, of course, be sure and follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at David Linaway. You can always say hi on Facebook. Always great hearing from folks, especially now that we've hit up episode 200. So thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>